It's the Hive Sports Podcast, bringing you all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State. Visit us at thehivesports.com. Against Gobert, puts his shoulder down, rolls inside, try to slam it home, and Rudy said, not tonight! John Beck is on the run, he throws behind him, it is, cut for the touchdown! Merrill, for the lead, he's got it! Hello and welcome to the Real Salt Lake podcast here at the Hive Sports. For you three viewers and listeners that actually care, I am finally (laughs) back from my COVID break. I am Ethan Kershaw. You can follow me at Ethan Kershaw 9. I am joined today as always alongside Alex Maurer. You can find him at Alex Maurer on Twitter. Go ahead and follow us. And today we are going to be bringing you a week full of a lot of stuff that has been going on for Real Salt Lake. Yeah, it was it was a week for us, I would say. One that I hope we can quickly forget. Yeah, uh, for, for certain aspects, I would definitely agree with that. But I'd, I'd say this week was strangely eventful. I didn't think we were going to have too much to talk about, but uh, then just things started popping up. So uh, we've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, let's go ahead and first start with our infamous, our favorite segment. I'm sure everybody loves this. It's got to be their favorite. The Monarch Minute. Infamous. By Alex. Our Howard. famous, our famous Monarch Minute. Well, there wasn't much Monarchs news to report back to you guys, seeing as we got both games in last week. But Jeffrey Duznup did come up with his third save of the week this year. For a very young goalkeeper, that is a pretty high honor to come away with a hat trick of those. And if you haven't seen it, go check the team's Twitter because it is really incredible. Off a New Mexico cross and a header, he gets down super low from about point blank range and paws it away. And it is exciting to see the pipeline kind of continue for goalkeepers. For whatever reason, we are incredibly deep at that position. And maybe after a night like this from David Ochoa, where, no, I'm just kidding, Dave. None of those goals are really on David Ochoa, but it is hard to concede six. But yeah, other than that, there's not a whole lot of Monarchs news. They play tonight, Sunday, uh, against New York Red Bulls 2. And hopefully we can see some more of the young guys get trotted out there. Keep an eye on how the Monarchs play because we know for a fact that Hamas and Olave is interviewing for the RSL head coaching job. So if you're at all curious about stuff like that, keep an eye on the Monarchs. Absolutely. And I agree with you with, about the uh, the goalkeeper comment. I feel like we've got goalkeepers for days. I feel like that's something that RSL is very good at producing. Um, I just kind of wish that maybe we could translate that into some other positions as well. But I mean, hey, having a great goalkeeper is good. So uh, we'll take it. Thank you for that, Monarch Man. That was actually you're so welcome. Quick. Yeah, I got that one in under the time limit, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was real quick. Um, it gives us enough time to go ahead and jump over to the Portland game recap, which I don't know we really want to talk a whole lot about. But let's just go ahead and dive on into the nasty and the gross and kind of talk about uh, different kinds of breakdowns and what happened tonight in the six-one uh, loss for Real Salt Lake against the Portland Timbers. Yeah, unfortunately. On paper, we actually don't look that horrible. Now that I'm looking at the ESPN stat sheet, we have 59% possession, 18 shots, 9 on target, to Portland's 41%, 16 shots, and 9 on target. So we're even on pretty much even on shots and shots on target, but somehow that translates to a 6-1 loss. And that's kind of something we heard a lot in the post-game comments from both Pablo, Justin, and Albert, was that they hit on every single one of their chances. And... For as true as that is, none of their chances were extremely difficult, in my opinion. They were all individual errors or mental lapses from us. And none of them were like really world-beating 
Coles or Golasso's or anything like that. I mean, Yimmy Chara had a pretty sweet shot, but he was under zero pressure. Uh, so for as much as I want to find the bright side in all this, I, I can't. I, I'm really digging. I'm really digging. Yeah, there's uh, there's not a lot of bright spots, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I uh, <clears throat> I brought up an interesting um, – like stat in one of the post game, or I guess one of the, the press conferences this week with uh, head coach Pablo Mastroni and uh, kind of talking about how, how effective Portland have been. Um, they have not been shut out in a game since June 26th of this year. That was the last time that Portland was shut out. Um, and since then they've been a team of goal scoring machines and kind of had a feeling before this game even started that it was going to kind of go south for Real Salt Lake, especially if they had implemented the continual formation they had been doing of this this three five two kind of thing. Um, just because the attackers for Portland, these guys like Asperia, uh, Mora, Yimmy Chara, like on the counterattack, they are so good. They're incredible. And we, we, we saw that obviously tonight. Um, so I was really worried about the formation. I We're going to go ahead and dive on into this conversation about the, the formation for this game. I really felt like even though Pablo had been rolling with this 3-5-2 formation, that um, he should have changed it up, should have made this uh, formation maybe a little more defensive going into the game um, just to stop this this massive counterattack and hemorrhage of goals that we saw tonight. Yeah, and for as good as we looked in the 3-5-2 against Seattle, I think it's important to remember that this is not the same Portland team we've seen early in the year. I mean, they've won five of their last six. They dropped that Sounders team in Seattle 2-0. And playing on the counter has always been their DNA, you know, for the past few years. So it's not like that was something that really should have caught us as off guard as I think it did. Um, And for me, that's where you kind of have to look at the coaching decisions made. You know, we start off in the three, five, two, we don't look super good, which was straight. It's so weird for me because we did look so incredible against Seattle. And maybe that was just Seattle being having an off day, maybe focusing on the league's cup match they had later in the week. Yep. But it just, it doesn't add up to me. Like Eric Holt looked like a completely different player tonight and not for the better, mind you. And I'm just curious how we, cause it's been, you know, brought up on Twitter ad nauseum. The fact that we've let in, I think 18 goals and Pablo's six games in charge or some crazy stat like that. And it's what's weirdest to me is that when Pablo was successful in Colorado, it was when his team was incredibly defensive oriented and Mm -hmm. let absolutely nothing in. And it led them to their best season in club history. And yet when he takes over here, he takes over a really good defensive team. And somehow we morph into kind of this Petke esque era team that when you let in one goal, you let in like the floodgates kind of open and you start chasing the game early on. I think we kind of see that in the Noah powder sub at halftime. I love Noah powder. He's one of the hashtag my guys for this season for me, along with Anderson Julio, which maybe is an indictment on my guys. Um, But I think at that point we're playing scared a little bit. I don't know if that feels the same to you, but I mean, we go down to half only down to one and we make what in my estimation is a defensive sub moving from four defenders flat across the back instead of three. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of see this explosion of goals from the timbers. And so that's why I'm 
mostly focusing on the coaching decisions made in this game because I'm very, very, I don't want to say confused or suspect, but, you know, this is the guy in charge. And if he's going to be leading us, I'm kind of interested just to see why he thought the way that he did. And unfortunately, we didn't have a whole lot of time for questions tonight in the post game, so we couldn't really ask him. Mm-hmm. But he did mention that he wasn't totally tied to the three five two. You know, I asked him about that heading into LA and he seemed a little wishy-washy. So I'm excited to see where the team moves forward from this, but I'm having a hard time compartmentalizing this loss and finding any any real positives. Yeah, I think the I think the visual presentation of the way that Pablo uh, after halftime um, kind of laid out the formation for the team and, and threw Noah Powder in there going with more of a, a flat four kind of thing. I will say this about Noah Powder. If you want a guy to play very defensively, he's not that guy. He's not the guy at all. I think he had five shots tonight. Yeah, Four or five exactly. shots tonight, yeah. and He's a, it, he's a guy that gets forward. It's not yeah, like... He, it's almost like he would be a great left wing back in a 3-5-2 formation. Exactly. Wouldn't that, wouldn't yep. that be interesting? But instead we yeah. get Justin Merrim, who I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words on Justin Merrim because he keeps being so decidedly average for us and keeps making the starting 11. So clearly there's something that I'm missing either in training or just in the eyes of another human being and head coach that sees something different. But yeah, I would really love to see powder in more of an advanced attacking position where he's, you know, kind of given the freedom to go forward and see that from the start. Cause I think if we see that, and let him actually build some of those reps, then maybe he can turn into a better wing back for us. But who knows? Yeah, no, definitely. The left wing back position, I think, is kind of his calling card. And I also think, too, let's not forget uh, Andrew Brody, still on the mend. Uh, when he gets yeah, back, that's, that's, a great that's show. also definitely a position that he can play as well. And so adding more depth when he comes back is going to be definitely important. I think another thing, too, this formation is so hard to play when you have a guy – that you're just sticking in there kind of feels like, like, like Eric Cole. I, I really feel like Ray also like is missing Marcelo Silva. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that, especially as of late, I mean, I know that he did play in some of the games where they hemorrhaged the goals, but I think we've been allowing just more opportunities, more chances as Eric Holt's been in there really missing Marcelo Silva. And I think that once Silva comes back, that's kind of the time where you can implement this kind of formation. You have Glad, Dakovic and Marcelo Silva in the back as that back three, that's a solid back three. It leaves me a lot more confident than having Eric Holt on in there um, just for defensive purposes. What do you think on that? I, 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 I want to agree because I do love Marcelo, but I love Marcelo for his chaotic energy. And I don't know that him being the organizer of a three-man back line is really his calling. <laughs> I think he yeah. does best when he kind of has a steady Eddie and Justin Glad next to him to kind of clean up when he goes on his crusades 20 yards from his position. And I truly enjoy when he does that. And I think, I think he's, you know, obviously pound for pound a much better center back than Eric Holt, but I don't know that he is going to fit the 3-5-2 in that center role perfectly. But beyond Marcelo, I think Tony Dakovich had a horrible night. I mean, anytime a center back gets subbed out at halftime to wholly change the formation of a team is a pretty big indictment. And I think we've yet to see anything from him that would demand his inclusion in match day squads. So that really leaves me with Justin Glad, who I really like. And that's not three center. Justin Glad is unfortunately not three center backs. I don't know if you're, you're keeping track at home, but he is indeed only one center back. So while I 
I really do want to see the three, five, two work because against Seattle, it was so satisfying and fun. And against San Jose it was at least just like awesome, chaotic energy that allowed guys to get forward. And I've talked about this before, but I don't think Dami fits the three, five, two at all. But if you take him out, you've got to put him somewhere. And I don't know where he goes because hey, if we see Bobby Wood sure. come back, he I know, I know he's, and he scored the goal <laughs> against the Sounders, but the, today was a literal tap in that very easily could have been offside. I think by the letter of the law, it wasn't for good reason, but I, I, I agree. I love Dami and he's an all-star and he's, I think the leading scorer on this team by a wide margin. And so you have to find a spot for him, but when Wood gets healthy, how is the lineup not Wood, Rubin, Albert in the top three positions in this lineup and then maybe you slot him back into that six or eight you know dueling sixes dueling eight roles for Everton or Pablo but I think we've seen in in years past that even dating back to Kyle Beckerman like he was Dami was not really great as that second holding mid I think he's always been better for us higher up the field and so that's where I kind of lose the three five two a little bit just because I don't know where you can find Dami, but honestly, in other in the four three two one, I don't know where you find a spot for Dami either. So it's really an interesting conundrum, and I'm glad I am not the interim head coach having to make these decisions. I am going to, as you respectfully disagree with me about the Marcelo Silva thing, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you about the Demir Krylock thing. I think he's playing in a really good spot. I think this is like where he really fits in. I mean, where he plays well. I think with Bobby Wood, when he comes back, I really felt like he and Rubin swapping off back and forth was working okay. It was working as good as it possibly could. And I think that they they really complement each other in kind of their skill set. Rubin tonight uh, obviously didn't look fantastic. He does have times where he can completely disappear. And uh, as you had told me, I think one of the biggest things I'm concerned about with Rubio Rubin is like finding the guy a proper dermatologist. Like, uh, <laughs> Rude, blame the poor guy. He just he needs. I mean, the poor. It's, <laughs> yes, the poor guy. Maybe it's it's his genetics or something. But like, he just needs a better skincare routine or something. But like, I, I feel for the guy in that in that respect. <laughs> but um, I definitely think that Bobby Woods more. I mean, like. Freddie Juarez, when he was the coach earlier this season, talked about, you know, we're going to kind of play the hot hand. Whoever's scoring goals, whoever's getting more chances on goal is going to get the starts between Bobby Wood and Rubio Rubin. And at the time, it looked like Rubin had a bit of an upper hand. Bobby Wood got injured, and then Rubin just kept playing. But I think when Wood comes back, we might see a lot of the same thing, just kind of more depth at that position. But, I mean, I love Krylock at that spot up top just because of his height. The guy's so tall, he can get in there, he can get headers, crosses into the box. That's something that I feel like is uh, maybe a little forgotten, like a forgotten art nowadays. But I think Krylock, as tall as he is in the box, is a huge weapon. That's how he gets a lot of his goals, honestly. I, but I think it is definitely a weapon. But one thing you said was that Wood and Rubin's skill sets really complement each other. And wouldn't it be really cool to see those two guys play together <laughs> if, if their skill sets really work with one another? Because the problem I have with Rubin and with Dami is that both of them kind of drop deeper to play the holdup guy. And mm-hmm. I think Rubin is a better holdup guy. Um, so if both, you know, Dami kind of drops deep to where Albert kind of operates and then Rubin holds up but doesn't really have anybody to play through because the wing backs don't really play that high in this formation. So it's just, it feels like trying to, 
shove a square peg through a round hole fitting Domi into this lineup because yes Domi is an attack like is a threat in attack obviously he has a bunch of goals but they do come from strain like all his goals early in the year came from when he was di- like primarily playing as a 10 right. and so you kind of not discount those obviously he scored them and they all count the same mm-hmm. but Look, looking at it through the lens of the possibility that maybe the team could be better without him in the starting lineup. Not that it is, not that it has to be, but the possibility that starting Wood, Rubin, and Albert up top together in a three-five-two would be the most beneficial for the team. And then maybe have Domi come off as a late or as an early sub to either shore things up in the midfield or chase a goal up top through a different direction is something that I would at least be interested in seeing. And I think it's okay. been dismissed a lot, which is fair. Dami probably is the most skilled player on our team, and benching him does not seem like you know a winning strategy. But I truly think pound for pound, if Wood comes back healthy and looks able, I would love to see him start up top with Rubin. And Dami's played a absolute bucket load of minutes this season, so I think one game yeah. without him would probably be beneficial to the whole roster. But who knows? I think it's an exciting problem for Pablo to have, but I also think it's poor roster construction from Elliot and co. I think it, we were all kind of mystified when we brought in Johnny Menendez after bringing in Jaison Ramirez, Justin Merrim a couple years earlier, uh, Anderson Julio. Like we have this extreme depth at wingers and now we've kind of abolished wingers from our lineup. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know because the, the three five two leaves out Menendez and Anderson pretty much entirely because apparently neither of those guys care at all to defend. And then if you do put them both in, then you lose Herrera and it's just a mess. I think depth is obviously a good thing, but you kind of need productive depth. If that makes any sense, depth at the wingers, when we have three center backs on our roster right now is not the kind of depth that we're looking for. So I, I'm curious to see how we maximize this roster because I can, I would, I would certainly say, and I hope many would agree, that we are not getting the most out of every man on the roster the way things are currently going. But I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, some, some things definitely could be changed. Uh, last note on Demir Krylock, the heart wants what the heart wants. He's an amazing human being. <laughs> he and is, so just he for, is. For it's such a good reasons. family guy. When he was crying yeah. in that post-game interview, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. And that's why I like he's been so gracious with his time here at RSO just taking time with the media and every story you hear about him is how he, you know, the kind of guy that would treat the janitor the same as the CEO and things like that. And so, yeah, I do, I do love Dami for his intangibles too and his leadership. I just think there's a possibility that the best starting 11 for RSL does not include Demir Krylak. Okay. Okay. I think I've beaten you into submission. So no, it's, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, and I agree with you with the, the Demir Krylock. No, every time we talk to him in like every post post game press conference, every time we just say you're we say something like your goal is fantastic tonight. He's like, oh, I want to give um, yeah, all, he all respect to my team, my, my coaches. Every single time, the guy's amazing. But um, just some other quick notes about this game as well. Um, oh my gosh, we all were just crying for uh, Anderson Julio to get into the game a little bit earlier. I thought we were down two goals. Maybe if we got him in there, I mean, I know he's not very good defensively, but if we got him in there, maybe put him at striker or something, just get behind the defense, maybe get some opportunities, maybe get back into the game. And then good old Johnny Menendez gets what, like 30 seconds of game time. Like it was a rough one tonight. I it, For me, no other notes really. <laughs> yeah, really. The only thing I would have, I mean, well, I would have liked to have said that I would change a lot. 
But the one thing I would have changed was instead of powder coming on and changing the whole back line. Yeah, I know Dakovic got absolutely dunked on, but I would have kept the three five two and just subbed in Julio for Maram. I think if you need to chase a goal, there were other ways to do it than changing up the formation and the mindset of every player on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would have been my biggest change would have just been sub Julio for Maram if you need more attacking presence and tell Dakovic to play better <laughs> if that's something that goes across well in a locker room i don't know right yeah yeah there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, questionable decisions made so uh we will press on and kind of just forget about this one consider it a black mark but let's go ahead and talk now about something that i'm not super tuned into i hope maybe you have a little more insight into this um kind of more of the the head coaching role Going forward, we know that Pablo Mastroni has been the interim head coach as of late, but also the front office for Real Salt Lake has been interviewing candidates recently for a permanent head coaching vacancy. Uh, what are your your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so we've seen it floated. I don't know that it's been confirmed. I think it might have been Sam School that did confirm it, that second rounds of interviews have kind of begun Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't get into too many details about who it has been that has gotten a second interview. There was one guy who did, and now I can't remember. Uh, I'll look it up really fast. Uh, who got a second interview with the team. And I think we've been, it's been like, I don't know if it's been rumored or suggested that Jason Christ has also received a second interview, but there are, it's kind of still the same list. Landon Donovan is still probably my favorite candidate. Hamas Nolave has been rumored. Uh, Pat, Javi's Pat still Noonan. rumored. Pat Is Pat Noonan the one that got the second interview? Yeah. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Thank you for looking that up for me. Uh, yeah. He's another guy. Like He's just an assistant with, I believe it's Philly, right? Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. kind yep. of always he's in these rumors every time a job comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a whole lot of movement. And I still... I think we've been made to think from certain writers and reporters that we are able to hire a new coach and spend a relatively reasonable amount of money on them. I don't think Mm -hmm. nobody's expressed concern that that's something that we can't do. So I would be under the assumption that we can go out and hire a new coach. Right. uh, Because I believe the league is running everything. Um, So obviously they want us to be in good hands, but Maybe that's not true because they refused to let us sign Aaron Johansson years ago. And yeah, I'm still bitter about it. Uh, but the one, yeah, as I've said, the one guy who's most intriguing to me is Landon Donovan. It was, he was, he almost signed here if the league again had allowed it in 2014. And there were rumors that he was going to have an academy coaching role with us after his stint as a player. So that's super intriguing to me. The fact that this is a guy who's expressed interest before in us before he's done well with the San Diego Loyal stands up for all you know, super cool social justice causes that would be a nice change of pace from certain previous ownership. Uh, And he also, I don't know if you know this, Ethan, but he's the greatest American soccer player of all time. So that helps a little bit in your resume, I have to assume. So I think if we could go out and get a guy like Landon, I say we do it as soon as possible. One thing I've expressed that I don't want to have happen is to have us overreact, the FO overreact to a loss like tonight get rid of Pablo and bring in a low budget guy that perhaps isn't the best for the future, but might be enough to tie the fans over till the end of the season. That's, that's what I don't want. You know, I want this to be a signing or a hiring that would be approved by 
any future ownership group, I want it to be a guy everybody's excited about. Obviously, I don't want it to be Jason Kreis. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I know we have a soft spot for him, and deservedly so. He's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt here, mm-hmm. but he hasn't succeeded in New York. He should have succeeded in Orlando, in my opinion, but he didn't and got fired, and then he obviously failed with the U23s. So I have a hard time. I I don't, I wouldn't mind him coming back in some sort of technical role, but I don't know that there's any available. I don't know that I would want him as a full-time GM taking over for Elliot. I don't know that he would accept an assistant position. We already just signed a technical director in Kurt Schmidt. Maybe he's a scout for us. I don't know. Luke Mulholland is doing that now, I believe, (laughs) but who knows how much he's actually doing. They say they just use like software, uh, to scout players, whatever. I don't know. But the other guy that would interest me would be Javi. I think I would like to see a young coach given a chance, a guy that obviously wants to be back here, a guy that deserved so much better from the club and the way that his final year here was handled. And if he could bring in a guy like Homison onto his staff, I think that would also be awesome. A little bit of uh, promote from within, but yeah, no real movement there, I don't think, other than that second interview for Pat Noonan. Yeah, not a, not a ton. Um, for Lanny Donovan, you did forget he is the biggest uh, Mexico national team supporter that is American. So uh, <laughs> there's that too. But, you know, I, I like Landon Donovan the most, I think, as well. Mostly probably just for personal, like, selfish reasons to be able to, like, talk to and interview the guy. Like, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's Landon but, Donovan. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like cool. if we have the opportunity, I don't know how you pass that up. Like, <laughs> is he doesn't have MLS coaching experience. Yeah, sure. But he's right. the greatest MLS player of all time as well. Like, yeah, I, there's if it's, it's more of if Landon would want to come here. You know what yeah. I mean? Because mm-hmm. I have to yeah. imagine whenever more of these coaching vacancies appear, he would have his pick of the litter. So it's like, for me, if we could land, land Landon before he gets all those other interviews, I think that would be awesome for us. And I've also mentioned that I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily want to hand the keys to the castle to Pablo Mastoretti. And obviously after a night like tonight, that's probably obvious why, but I would love to see him stay on as an assistant in some capacity. If an incoming head coach would desire that because the guys do seem to truly love playing for him. And he seems like a great man manager and that is kind of always the guy I would imagine you want to have in your corner. So who knows? But so I, w- I would you, love to you see. You may have missed the. You may have missed the uh, one of the media sessions this week, actually. But Tom actually asked Pablo Mastroni that question. So you know it's a tough one, but I want to ask you: Would you feel comfortable uh, working as an assistant coach or elsewhere within the organization? And he did answer affirmatively. He said, "Yeah, I'd be fine working somewhere else within the organization, wherever the the team would like to have me." I that's something that I would be willing to do. Dang, so that's un- awesome. That's super un- cool. Yeah, unfortunately for like his head coaching prospects, it looks like that that might be where he's headed. But um, finally, just like the the list that was brought up, it was Lucas Muller who tweeted out, uh, it was Landon Donovan, Jason Christ, Rob Valentino, Javier Morales, Hamison Olave, Steve Cherundolo, uh, Pat Noonan, Dominic Kinnear, and then Pablo Mastroni, obviously. So Yeah, Steve Cherundolo is another interesting, interesting one. I yeah. think... I don't, it would just be cool to sign like a high profile USMNT guy, but who knows? Also kind of interesting to me that Kyle Beckerman has not been in these conversations at all. I mean, he's only, only just barely started head coaching at UVU and he's only, you know, a few years retired It's true. or one year retired. Did he play last year? He did play last year. Didn't he? Wow. Wow. 
Wow, good for that guy. <laughs> I remember. Feels uh, like it's been forever. Yeah, I just remember him getting a yellow card at the end of the game in one of the bubbles <laughs> or in the Orlando bubble. But yeah, it is kind of interesting to me that he's not even been Rumored. like brought up by anybody, not even yeah. by like people following the team. So that's that's interesting to me. But I mean, I guess he is just barely starting his coaching career. So who knows? Another yeah. guy, like if we could get the whole gang, but if like Javi was head coach and then we had Homison and Kyle and Nick on like the coaching staff, <laughs> I don't know that it would work, but it would be just delightful. Be <laughs> it, would, it would be very cool. Or Landon yeah. head coach and he brings in all of those guys. To run. That'd be super cool okay. too. Yeah. And we'll have to see look- how it turns out. It'll, it'll be real interesting to see, but uh, it's like definitely developing. So We'll we'll keep y'all updated about the uh, any of the coaching updates going forward. Um, you have anything I else to that, talk about? No, I, think I think that just about covers it. I mean, we got awesome. LA Galaxy on Wednesday. That's going to be yep. a massive Western Conference game. Albert said when asked in post game by Samantha Yark about about the LA game, he just said we need to win. We need three yep. points. He was very succinct and I think he is correct. If we want a shot at the playoffs, we really need to start picking up points. Yep, home game this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Make sure to tune in. Make sure to give a watch. We'll also be providing um, post-game analysis on that game, as well as talking about it in next week's podcast. But I think that's all for us this week. Here with Alex Maurer. Follow him at Alex Maurer. Dang, you are seamless with those drops. (laughs) Go ahead and follow me at Ethan Kershaw 9 where we'll be providing various updates for you about Real Salt Lake, anything you need. We are here for you. Ask us questions too. Any questions you want us to ask to the players or the coaches, we're here for you to do that as well. So thank you all for tuning in tonight. We hope you have a wonderful evening and we will talk to y'all later. See ya. TheHiveSports.com has all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State, covering prep, college, pro, and church sports. No way, really? Okay, maybe not that last one. If you want to stay in the know about all things Jazz, Cougars, Aggies, and Utes, then this is the site for you. TheHiveSports.com. We may even feature your high school, so check us out today at TheHiveSports.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out TheHiveSports.com because we got the buzz.